Episode number 19. I'm ready, and I'm not bragging. I'm not bragging using the 19. I promise. Jason D. Hamilton <laughs> is recovering from Washington, USC, as the dogs find their way, believe it or not, to 8 and 0. Oh, Jason D. Unbelievable. Just the story we were all waiting for <laughs> the University of Washington men's basketball team to be undefeated in the first eight games of conference play. Who would have thunk it? Not me. Rick Neuheisel returns to Mitch Unfiltered. I want two things from Rick. I want, is Brady the best ever, and if not, who is and why? And I want Neuheisel's pick for the Super Bowl. In all the years, Jason, that I was taking picks on the radio, he was the best. He was the best college football picker that we ever had mm. in, in terms of percentage. So I'm thinking to myself, yeah, okay, so he's a college guy. He has a pick. There's no question he has a pick for the Super Bowl, and he has good reasons to make whatever pick he's going to make. So I invited him on to episode number 19. Also on episode number 19 is a guy by the name of Andrew Lopez. J.M. <laughs> Mitch, Mitch, Mitch. Yes. Can I ask you a question? Uh, I, go ahead. Who, who's, who's Andrew Lopez? I'm glad that you asked, Jay Ham. Andrew Lopez is the beat writer for the New Orleans Pelicans of the Times-Picayune in New Orleans. And I figured we've got to dedicate some time to the story of the week and the mm. story of the year in the NBA, and that's Anthony Davis saying, I want out. Trade me now. I'm not signing an extension with the Pelicans. I want to play with LeBron James for the Lakers. And so yeah. we will go to New Orleans on today's episode number 19. And back to Vegas. You've been asking me the last few times that I've seen you, have you gotten in touch with Todd Furman? Have you gotten in touch with Todd Furman? Todd Furman, the former Caesars Palace odds maker, makes his return to episode number 19, founder of Bet the Board. He's going to tell us all about the Super Bowl wagering in Las Vegas for this Sunday's game. Love it. Are you new or newish to the podcast? If you are, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. If you really want to strengthen the health of Mitch Unfiltered, make sure you check out each of the episodes that you missed. You don't have to listen to the whole show. As soon as you hit play, we get credit for a listener, and the more listeners we get, the longer we'll be around. Also, raise your hand if you're a patron of Mitch Unfiltered. Not if you're driving. Don't take your hands off the wheel. Lots of bonus material available only to patrons. You'll love Steve Phillips and Tim Kirchin interviews about Edgar and the other Hall of Famers, and I'm planning to do a couple of more Super Bowl segments in the next day or two just for patrons. It's all brought to you by Daniel's Broiler, Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue, Zeke's Pizza. Don't forget to join us on Super Bowl Sunday at the brand-new Capitol Hill location on Mercer Street. Pizza specials, beer specials. We're going to get a little Super Bowl pool of squares going. We I hope you'll give me the opportunity to say hello and thank you for helping make Mitch Unfiltered a reality. Zeke's Capitol Hill on Super Bowl Sunday and still pleased to announce that we've added that fourth sponsor to Mitch Unfiltered, the premier wealth management firm in the Northwest, Evergreen, managing over $2 billion in assets with its roots here in Bellevue and offices along the West Coast, Portland, San Francisco, and Napa. Unfiltered. It's okay to have a game plan going in, but when you're so stubborn and unwilling to get away from it because the other team is essentially daring you to do so, then we get into stupidity. Unfiltered. Guess that's what really 
kind of infuriates me that we go to the offseason after a game that the quarterback was really not given a chance to win the football game for you. That's a quarterback who's the face of the organization. That's a quarterback who, as I say, in a couple of years or in a year, they're going to give, I don't know, $25, $30 million a year to. And yet it just feels to me like they took the ball out of his hands. Mitch is unfiltered. We've made it to episode number 19, J-Ham, and I've got names for you. You pick one. I, I, I know who I'm choosing to represent episode number 19. You've got Johnny Unitas. Mm-hmm. You've got Stevie Iserman. Mm-hmm. You've got Willis Reed. Mm-hmm. You've got Robin Yount, some great number 19s. And then you've got my choice. I'll tell you a little bit about my choice and see if you can come up with who it is. We'll play a little Stump the Band for you, all right? Okay, okay. He played 20 years of Major League Baseball. He was 15 times an All-Star. He hit 393 in 1994. And here's my favorite stat of all about him, number 19. He was a 22-year-old rookie in 1982. He hit 289 in 54 games as a rookie. And then played 19 more years in Major League Baseball. How many times do you think he hit under 300 in those next 19 years? Twice. The answer would be Z-E-R-O. He never hit under 300 the rest of his 19-year career. In fact, as an old man, he retired. He went out hitting something like 310 in his last year. Who does that? What's his name? Jason. I don't know. His name is Anthony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn. Wow. Tony Gwynn. Yes, you should have known that. I wouldn't have done it if I thought that you were going to get it wrong. See, now, should I edit that out or you want to keep that in? You're not getting it right. (laughs) You can keep it in. Uh, (laughs) Okay. It's in. It's totally in. Tony Gwynn, number 19 of the San Diego Padres. May he rest in peace. He's He's our episode today. Episode Tony Gwynn. Even though we're not going to be talking about Tony Gwynn, we're starting right right where we ought to start. USC becomes victim number eight. This is getting ridiculous. What was it like in there on, on Wednesday it, night? It was a great – I'm going to tell you this. It was a great atmosphere. I was a little concerned. Uh, I heard that ticket sales were strong and that we were expecting a near-capacity crowd. But uh, as we approached tip-off, there was still you know plenty of seats – uh, empty, and I was thinking, well, maybe maybe there's a bunch of purchasers, but not everybody's going to make it late tip, weeknight, that whole thing. But as we got to tip off in the first couple of minutes, you know, I, I looked back up, and you know, the crowd was crowd was rocking, and it was into it. And then Washington jumped out to a big you know, opening stanza and uh, a quick lead, 11-4, early timeout from Andy Enfield and. Everybody was uh, was feeling it, and yeah. Washington has been notorious to be a slow starter in the non-conference, but in Pac-12 play, they have been very, very quick, and you know the game against USC was no exception. So it was good to see them get a good start. They didn't they didn't continue uh, that toward pace that they had uh, to, to to start, but as you mentioned, the fact that they're eight and zero, that they get the win, um, 
you know, that they continue to impress a double digit win 75 to 62 over, you know, a really talented team in USC, but you know, a team that's uh, been up and down uh, in the win loss column. It's uh, it's it's another feather in Coach Mike Hopkins' hat, and yeah. and uh, a credit to the guys. Was it the most intense atmosphere of the year? Would you say in the building? Are 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 they having trouble convincing people to come out because of the the relative weakness of the Pac-12 and where they started from after conference play? What's your assessment of the of the environment? Should it be hopping? Should it be should it be going? Should people be going crazy at this point at eight? No. Well, no. I think the excitement level is certainly there. I mean, it's you know don't don't misconstrue the way that I, I describe the crowd. I think people are people are now fully fully bought in and whether that's that's bandwagon or not it, it doesn't matter i mean this is a, a a city that's been waiting for washington basketball to be relevant again for quite some time and and uh, whether or not the league is down um, has nothing to do with the fact that washington continues to win games and 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 change the narrative and do things that they haven't done in years uh you know we talked about the fact that they had a road sweep in the rockies they had a road sweep and the Oregon schools, and now coming back home, um, you know, facing a couple of tough tests in in the LA schools, they they knock off the the first opponent in USC, and and I think I think uh, everybody in the arena is 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 charged up and and ready to go, and I think that they will be in their next game against UCLA as well. But the obvious question, and I don't want to come on too strong, is shouldn't they be should they be selling out these games? How many how many seats in the arena? Ten thousand, eleven thousand. Ten, ten, ten thousand. Okay. Should they be selling yeah. out? They're they're what seventeen and four now, eight and zero in the conference. Uh, should they be right. should they be selling these games out? Should they be standing room only for these games? Yeah. Well, I I I'm I'm fairly certain, and I know that um, you know there's there's maybe some some tallies yet to be done, but I I believe that the UCLA game is sold out. Um, you know whether that is a, a function of a Saturday afternoon game versus a, uh, an 8 p.m. game um, for the USC game on a weekday. You know I don't know. I, I know that you know other schools. It doesn't matter if it's a 8 p.m. game on a weekend or a weekday. You know it, it's a sellout. But I, I think people were and rightfully so skeptical of of even with a veteran team to to be fully bought in and. And you know that's the trust and and everything that you have to rebuild with a with a fan base that you know has been let down and and you know this group of seniors and the rest that have have come along are are trying to claw and fight to do some things here um, and you know they're 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 knocking down everybody who's in front of them they're yeah. only. You know, they can only do what they can do, and, and so far it's it's winning everything in front of them. Well, I can tell you this, that they are a Utah loss to Oregon away. Utah on, I guess it would be Thursday night, depending upon when people are listening to this episode number 19. If if Oregon beats Utah in Salt Lake, and that's an even pick em game in Vegas, mm-hmm. the Washington Huskies would have a three-game lead on everyone before the halfway mark, before they get to the ninth game of the regular year, think about that right. for a second. That just—I don't care how good in previous years an Arizona team or a UCLA team. There's always somebody chasing. At this point, they're—they're they're threatening to be secretariat in this thing. They're—they're threatening—they're threatening to run away with this thing. Yeah, it's—it's it's bizarre. I mean, it's a—it's amazing what the really what the Oregon road trip did for them. Um, you know, it, it just put them miles ahead of everybody in terms of the 
the belief that Washington is the premier team in the league. Um, and with everybody else, you know, not being able to keep pace, Washington now has a chance to just blow this thing wide open and really put a stranglehold on, on the rest of the league. And if, if you're, if you manage to, to beat UCLA in your next game and, uh, <laughs> and you get to nine and zero in conference play and then the, Ari- nine- and, then, and then the Arizona trip, right? Exactly. With oh. nine to go, oh. you know, you're, you are in a Woo. very, very interesting place. And you were the guy, remember? I was the who, guy. After, after we started, um, you know, with the, the first couple of wins, you know, you started counting backwards and saying, okay, you get to five and oh, you know, really you subtract that. You got 13 conference games left. If you go, yes. you know, we were playing that game. If yes. you recall, if you go nine and four, and that then, game you know, gets and more and more fun as we go along. Doesn't that game no become doubt. fun? It's better than tiddlywinks or whatever you call it. It's, it's, it's good. <laughs> it's a fun game because now I'll, I'll do the game with you. They're eight and oh. They've got 10 games to play to get to the magical, well, I don't know if it's magical anymore, 14 and four. Yeah. They got to go yeah. six, they've got to go six and four. And we can all say now, maybe no one wanted to get on my bandwagon the last episode, but we can all say now that if they finish 14 and four, having started eight and eight, eight and oh, none of us are going to be happy with that, even though that, that might get them into the NCAA tournament. I think we've got to right. be setting our sights on 16 and two. 15 and 3, 17 and 1. Once they get through the Arizona swing, right? They don't have to go back to Los Angeles to face UCLA and USC, and they don't Correct. have to face Arizona and Arizona State here. They're done with those four schools. Uh, there's no reason, let's say they beat UCLA and split the Arizona trip. That would make them mm-hmm. 10 and 1 through 11 games, right? Mm-hmm. No yeah. reason no reason they should be anything less than 15 and 3, probably 16 and 2 or better. Yeah, and it, you know what's crazy, if we wanted to play that game and, and take it even farther, it's, you know, would you take 15-3 and three now or roll the dice? That's a hard question because I know 15-3 and three will get them in. So right. You're, so so, you, so, you're, you so you're, you're offering me an absolute, in my mind, guarantee that they'll get into the tournament. Or would I turn that down, risk not getting into the tournament, go thirteen and five, but also mm-hmm. have an opportunity to go sixteen and two, seventeen and one, maybe even win the Pac twelve tournament, maybe play themselves into a, a five or a four like a really lofty kind of protected seat in the NCAA tournament. Uh, <laughs> I I'm I'm a riverboat gambler. No, I'll roll the dice. I'll pass on the the out of court settlement. At fifteen and three, I'll I'll take my chances and see if they could go sixteen and two or better. How about that? You know, and I think I'd be right there with you, just based on the schedule, based on the way that they're playing, and that's crazy to even think about. Yeah, uh, it's not it's not stupid to even think about because <laughs> this, <laughs> it's crazy to even uh-huh. think about uh-huh. at fifteen and three. Uh. All right, before we get off the subject, Dickerson was yeah. great, twenty one points, fourteen rebounds, and he made some great plays in the second half to kind of. To kind of keep to keep USC at bay, but mm-hmm. we but I have to get a comment from you about Matisse Thybul. Everybody loves to talk about mm, does Matisse Thybul find himself on an NBA roster next year? Can he does he have enough offensive game to find his way somehow into the league on a bench next year? Uh, I don't know whether he does or doesn't, but I made this comment on Twitter uh, on 
Wednesday night of the game after the game was over. I have been watching, and I don't, I don't, I don't profess to be an expert in very much, but I am mm-hmm. an expert. I am an expert not in the zone, but I'm an expert in watching the zone. Nobody has watched the zone more than me, <laughs> and boy, have I hated just about every minute of watching the zone. But that's a story for another day. Mm-hmm. I have seen some really good Syracuse zones, in, and I'm just talking college basketball. And I'm sure there's other teams that have played the zone as well as Syracuse over the years. In fact, Syracuse has played some pretty bad zones over the years too. But I have seen some really good zones, and people think that zones are passive, and you don't you don't get a lot of steals out of zones. I've seen I've seen a handful of guys at the top of the Syracuse two three that have either led the Big East or the ACC in steals. I think I've seen them go 1-2 in the ACC in steals with both of those guys. So I've seen some guys play the top of that zone, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I was putting my mind to it. I was really thinking hard about some of the ones that I really thought were unbelievable. The guy I thought played it the best in the years I watched Syracuse, people will know the name, in his one year really at Syracuse, he had two, but he only played for one year, was Michael Carter-Williams. You remember mm-hmm, Michael sure. Carter-Williams. Of course, yeah. Long, a wingspan. He was like, I don't know, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, but a wingspan of like 6'11", or 7 feet. He yeah, got his yeah. hands on everything. He really he really reminds me of Matisse Thibel. But I think, I guess this is a long-winded way of saying what I want to say, which is I think Matisse Thibel is the best I've ever seen at the top of that zone. Wow. In all the years, and I think if you asked Hop to go back, he, he would mention Jason Hart. He would mention Michael Benajay. He would mention Andy Routens, the son of Leo Routens. He, yeah. might, he might mention Scoop Jardine. There's, there's been a few over the years. Pearl Washington got his hands on some, Nobody, nobody has played the top of that zone quite like Matisse Thibel. It's amazing what he does out there. Well, even just going back and thinking about the list of names, and there's some really, really good players, um, athletic players, uh, guys that, that, that you know I, I recall watching as well. I, I'm not sure any of them come close to the kind of athlete that Matisse Thibel is. I mean, Matisse Thibel is an elite athlete against elite athletes. I mean, you stack him up and you look at his wingspan, his vertical leap, um, his strength for a wiry frame, and you couldn't build a better player to be on top of a 2-3 zone for Mike Hopkins. You just, you just simply could not build a better person to play in that zone. And, you know, he proved that out. He's got great instincts. Um, you know, he, he can cover so much ground uh, because he's he's not only quick, but he's got great leaping ability, and then that weak wingspan to to contest shots. Uh, I, you know, obviously you would know from the Syracuse perspective, but I just watch him and go, Mitch, he had seven steals tonight. Yeah, I know. Seven. Yeah. Seven steals tonight, and that that doesn't even include, um, you know, the couple of block shots that, that he got. So you, t- you you combine those things, and you look at that number, you go nine between nine steals and blocks. I mean, that's a big number. Unbelievable, and seventeen points which is exactly. the biggest of numbers for him. But but yeah. uh, he's averaging, just to give you a sense, I think Michael Carter-Williams was about 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. I think they're built very similarly. Um, he's averaging three steals a game is Matisse Thibel. He's got, I believe, 57 or 60 steals this year so far. Michael Carter-Williams, the year that I'm talking about, I just went and looked it up, 111 steals that year out of the, yeah. t- out of the top 
of the 2-3 zone. Just an amazing, wiry, likable player. And he yeah. seems, I, I don't know him at all, but he seems like a very soft-spoken kind of real modest guy, Matisse Thibel. You know him better from traveling with him, getting to know him at all. What's he like? What's his personality he's, like? He's a great kid. I mean, you know, almost to the point where you wouldn't expect him to be as competitive as he is because he's just a, a he is that soft-spoken, mild-mannered kid. I mean, he's, he's into art and photography and, and, you know, not your, you know, as you think of guys that are, you know, professional athlete types that they have the kind of interest that he has. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a different kid who's been through a lot and, you know, had some tragedy in his life with his mom passing. And, you know, he, he's just, a he's a, he's a really good human being on top of being a really good basketball player. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll finish this kind of uh, rant by saying um, and answering your question. I do think he finds his way onto an NBA roster uh, just because of those physical tools, I think he shoots it well enough, and I think he'll continue to improve that. But because he has the defensive ability, you have a game in the NBA that is all about offense. Guys like James Harden, who we talked about in the last episode, who's, who's scoring crazy. And you need guys like Matisse Thybul that can stand in front of him and, and stay with him and, and limit his shots and touches. And, and I think he's that kind of guy that can do that and have a career in the NBA that might even last a decade. Mm. I've got a lot more to cover with you in our last segment. I've got three guests coming up, but in our last segment, we got to get to get our Super Bowl predictions, and I have a little competition for you. i got a little competition. You against me. We're going head-to-head. We're going mano-a-mano on this episode number 19, and a little competition that I'm going to call, which is more. You're going to have fun with this. I think our listeners are going to have fun with this, which is more, okay? And okay. then And then – I also want to talk to you about Steve Hutchinson. You realize that the next time you and I get together, Steve Hutchinson could be on his way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. And mm-hmm. I want to know how we as Seahawk fans should feel about that. I have my own views on this. We talked about Howard Schultz's apology on episode 18. Today we're going to talk about Steve Hutchinson, who's tried to endear himself back to the Seattle Seahawks fans over the last few years, and how we feel about him wanting to kind of go in to the Football Hall of Fame as a Seahawk. Mr. Poison Pill. So I want to, I want to discuss that, too. But first, okay. we've got to get a commitment from you. Am I going to see you? Yes or no? Am I going to see you, at least for a little bit, on Super Bowl Sunday on Mercer Street in Capitol Hill? Yes. That's the best news I've heard so far on episode number 19. Better news than even Washington beating USC. If you have no other plans for the Super Bowl, then please swing by the new Zeke's Capitol Hill location and join J-Ham and me on Mercer Street. Say hello, a craft beer, a slice of pizza, maybe a pie. Large pie, by the way, 15 bucks. $3 slices, $4 pints for those of you that are willing to stop by. Also... I'm going to get that little Super Bowl square pools thing going. Football knowledge unnecessary. Come on out. Super Bowl Sunday, Zeke's Capitol Hill. We're going to have a Rubens Brews tap takeover. Happy hour prices from 1 to 8. I'm going to be there around 3. Jay Ham's going to join at some point. Anyone who wants to be in the pool of little squares needs to be present before kickoff. I'm selling 100 squares at $1 a piece. Who wants a square? And then we'll award cash at the end of each quarter. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. 
Unfiltered. And here I thought inviting Rick Neuheisel on to episode number 19 would be a nice, fun chat about the Super Bowl, which is about to be played in Atlanta. But little did I know, Rick Neuheisel, that the Alliance of American Football's Arizona Hotshots had to make some very difficult decisions and finalize a roster today. Just a coincidence. How did today treat you, Rick? I felt like I was the Grim Reaper. It was uh, it was terrible it, uh, because you get so close to these guys over the course of a training camp, and you see and prove, and you hope that they get to have their dreams come true. And then the numbers are the numbers. You can only keep so many. So. It was a sad day, but uh, I called it a temporary setback, and uh, hopefully they'll all get to keep chasing their dream, and hopefully uh, very soon, because uh, I think they're talented. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't have a bone to pick with you. I'm looking at this roster, and I'm seeing all kinds of Pac-12 representation. I've got five UCLA guys. I've got four or five ASU products. I've got Oregon. I've got Arizona. I've got a handful of Oregon states. Nary a Washington Husky. Nary a Syracuse Orange. Nothing. You have forgotten about your your old hometown of (laughs) Seattle, Washington. You need to remember, Mitch, that this is an allocation process, and those particular schools belong to others. They do not belong to the Arizona Hotshots. While I have UCLA in my allocation, Arizona State, Arizona, Washington State, and Oregon State, I don't have the dogs. I don't have the orange. So when we get one of those guys, it's by other happenstance. So uh, (laughs) I'll keep my eye, though, on those particular universities should somebody come available. Game one for you guys is going to be next weekend, February the 10th, against the Salt Lake Stallions and Dennis Erickson's team. And I've heard... Uh, through training camp rumors that there's no love loss between the Hot Shots <laughs> and the Stallions. Dennis and I have uh, done many battles before, uh, <laughs> from he at Oregon State and me at Washington to he at Arizona State and me at UCLA. So this is just another uh, round in a what's been a, a, a great sparring partner for years. And, uh, you know, I think he is like me, giddy about this opportunity. It's fun to coach. It's fun to coach this type of young man who wants to continue to play because there's there's no ego it's about what can i do to get better and how can i continue to play the game that i love so we're, we're looking forward to it it's it's ironic though i'm going to be playing him at where he used to be the head coach <laughs> in sun devil stadium and now we're changing sidelines that just shows you what this game could do to you how, guys just keep, keep moving how, changing uniform yeah how closely has rick neuheisel uh watched the nfl playoffs Watch the New England Patriots, watch the Los Angeles Rams, and, and, and give us some thoughts on, on this game that we're going to see on Sunday. Well, I've, caught, I've, I've watched them all season long and, and certainly watched the playoff games. I think it's kind of interesting. You've got one uh, organization, the Patriots, that everybody is trying to be like, uh, and then you've got another organization in the Rams that everybody now thinks is the, the up-and-comer. The, the, the new avant-garde that, that everybody's trying to emulate. You know, uh, if you know Sean McVay, you're liable to be a head coach here shortly <laughs> because he's hotter than uh, Texas chili. Yeah. Uh, and Belichick is, is done that, been there and done that. I think it's just remarkable that Belichick-Brady combination has been now to nine Super Bowls. 
that just blows my mind, given that it's one of 32 teams or two of 32 teams that make it there annually, and that yet they have been kind of like a, a season ticket holder. It, it's it's remarkable. Sean McVay, you you spoke about him. Um, if you've had if you've had coffee with him at Starbucks, you're a uh, head coaching candidate in the National Football League. What is it that he does? What 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 is so special about? Uh, McVeigh and why does every owner in the National Football League want somebody from where McVeigh has come or, or shares the same ideas as McVeigh? You know, uh, let me let me say this: when you meet him, he's got great enthusiasm. He's obviously very very bright, uh, but he but he's not one of those guys that you know. One of the things that can happen to a young coach, and I know this having personal experience, you are unwilling to show what you don't know. You are unwilling to to show any weakness because people are already questioning, are you old enough for this particular responsibility? He has the ability to and the confidence to show that he of things that he doesn't know. He's willing to say, hey, I got to learn that. I've got to work harder to get that accomplished. And I think that's a real strength on his. I, I think uh, it, it, he's he's really really. Uh, smart in terms of asking for advice rather than thinking that he has to act like he already knows it. Uh, he is a, a great tactician in terms of how he uh, speaks to the quarterback. I thought Jared Goff's uh, growth at, at, for the Rams was retarded in the early years with Jeff Fisher and that staff because there were too many voices in his ear. There's too many people saying, hey, do this, do that, because you had a quarterback coach, a coordinator, a head coach. I, I think Sean McVay has quieted that noise. I think it's him that speaks to Jared Goff, and Jared Goff now is comfortable uh, and using some of the things that he was so successful with at Cal. And you can see that confidence grow. Uh, he's taken a formation and, and condensed everything, so now the field expands. You can run horizontally as well as vertically to get open against defenses, and he's uh, put found ways uh, with uh, less need to put great players on the field. I mean, when you have Todd Gurley in the backfield, and I know he wasn't a huge asset in the Saints game because he looked a little nicked up, but when you have Gurley in the backfield as well as that host of great receivers uh, and you line up in tight quarters – they're in position to block, but they also now can expand into a lot of different uh, route combinations that uh, Goff mm-hmm. seems to be a master mm-hmm. of. So I, I think the offense is, is brilliant, and I think it's uh, well-conceived, and everybody wants to copy it, and that's why McVay is uh, sitting on top of the mountain right yeah. now. Yeah. But uh, quite, a, quite a hill to climb in this Brady-Belichick uh, matchup. Well, that's where I'm going next with Rick Neuheisel, the head coach of the Arizona Hotshots, by the way, the Alliance of American Football, the Hotshots and the Stallions in a uh, absolute battle next week to, to kick <laughs> off the Ameri- the Alliance of American Football. Now, a skirmish to beat all. Tom, yes. Tom Brady, Rick, is going to play in his ninth Super Bowl. Chew on that for a second. His ninth Super Bowl. I never thought in my lifetime I would ever say that somebody was going to play in their ninth Super Bowl. Uh, the, the, the debate will rage on for as long as we're willing to discuss it. And that is where does he stand? I mean, you played the position, you coached the position, you've studied the position, uh, is Tom Brady simply put now the greatest that's ever played the position in Rick Neuheisel's mind? I don't think there's any question. I think he's absolutely lethal. I think he's absolutely lethal at the position and think now because we've all seen great quarterbacks. We saw Bradshaw. We saw Montana, guys who played in multiple Super Bowls. But think about the receivers that they had. 
Think about the guys who played receiver at those places with Jerry Rice, John Stallworth, uh, you know, Lynn Swan. Uh, I mean, go on down the list, right, of yeah. all the great players, the yeah. Dwight Clarks. The, and, and then think, now name, just run off ten, uh, five or six uh, New England receivers. You can hardly do it's it. hard to do. Yeah. After Randy Moss, yeah. it's hard to do. I mean, uh, Edelman is a freak, and Wes Welker was fantastic. And But these guys – we're, we're not first-round draft choices. They, 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 the way these guys surgically come at you and the way he understands it and the ability to throw with velocity when he wants to, to throw with touch when he wants to, to hit every pass in every kind of weather, in every kind of win. Here's where I really knew it. I was coaching in Baltimore. I was with the Ravens, and I would always go out and watch the pregame warm-up if the opposing quarterback was one of those guys I really kind of wanted, as you say, study. Peyton Manning, I went out there. It was like watching a doctor, you know, practice for a surgery in terms of with Reggie Wayne and, and Marvin Harrison going down the field and the way they prepared for a game. Uh, Brady, it was a windy night in Baltimore. It was cold. It was miserable to try to throw a forward pass. And yet I'm telling you, the guy threw it as if it was a perfect balmy day in Palm Springs. Mm. I was I was uh, uh, blown away, literally and figuratively, <laughs> watching him perform the surgery that he performed that night. And and they, that was the year they almost had the perfect season, 18 and 0, yeah. going into the yeah. Super Bowl against the Giants. Yeah. And I think about those two giant wins over the Patriots with the catches and the plays that yeah. had to be made to yeah. beat uh, Brady. I just tell you, I think he's 5-3 and three in the Super Bowls he's already played in. He came from 25 points down against the Falcons. He is a freak of freaks, and all you had to do is watch that Kansas City game to realize that over and over again he, he performs. So let me ask you it this way. What percentage of Belichick's success is about Tom Brady? And in other words, what would have happened to Belichick his second go-around on the sideline if he didn't have the all-time great quarterback, do you think? I don't know that it would be possible to be at nine Super Bowls if you didn't have the consistency of Tom Brady. I don't think that's possible. I don't think it's possible to have dominated the AFC East like they've dominated if you didn't have Tom Brady. I think uh, these quarterbacks are so valuable, especially when they get to the level that you know Brady, Rodgers, Breeze, you, you name those guys who get to that level where they just understand what's going on on defense and it's they're toying with you if, if they get a tell and they're the consummate poker players that know when you move your ear that you've got you're holding a full house. They, they know exactly everything that they you need to know. And he has all of a sudden now made his biggest opponent, not who's on the other sideline, but father time. You know, he's eating, you know, meals that wouldn't, keep you and I sustained for I don't know how long he's working on his abdomen. I, I mean, he's trying to stay as young as he could ever try to stay, and he's doing it so brilliantly. I, I think it's remarkable to watch. He and Breeze are both uh, at an all-time high, given that they're both over 40 years old. Mm. So Belichick would be a Hall of Famer or not without Tom Brady? Gosh, interesting. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt okay. because okay. the defense has also been part of and parcel of this championship run. Okay. And that okay. defense and that his ability to take away what you do best is unmatched. You watched that Kansas City game. You didn't see Tyreek Hill be able to do anything because instead of playing man-free, they said they played man-Tyreek, which meant that the free safety went over and bracketed just number 10. and. That's giving up a lot of field, but you have to have a lot of guts and a lot of bravado to do that, and yet 
it worked for much of the night. Sounds like you think the Patriots, and I run around looking for predictions and picks, and then I realize right under my nose I have the best. Nobody makes picks. Nobody makes football picks quite like Rick Neuheisel. So why am I reaching out to all these people around the country when all I have to do is call San Antonio, Texas to find the definitive (laughs) word on this? And by the way, San Antonio, I'm looking at this regional roster of yours that includes a Dartmouth player and a Louisville player and a Maryland player and a Georgia player. Uh, how do I explain this to my Syracuse and Washington friends that you have all these guys out of the region of Arizona? They were from schools that were non-allocated, <laughs> so they become free agents. Okay. You've you right. got to pay closer <laughs> attention to the rules and regulations of the Alliance of American Football, in which we all have to remain right. adaptable, okay. adjustable, and flexible. <laughs> Three words that I don't know anything about, Rick Neuheisel. Uh, all right, Let so me give you my prediction. Give me the score. Tell, tell me how how it's going to go and then what the score is going to be. Go ahead. I think the Rams are going to make a great showing. I think the Rams are going to be really good. I think the fact that they got over the hump after being down 13 nothing in the uh, Superdome, I think is going to speak volumes for their ability to rise to the occasion regardless of the circumstances. So I think the Rams are going to show. I think, uh, I think Belichick and company are going to be really good at taking away the running game. I think that's the key to stopping the Rams. Put it on Goff. See if Goff can battle with Brady because we know what Brady can do. Uh, it, it's going to come down to the Rams' pass rush. Aaron Donald, Dominican Sue, Cor- uh, sing, uh, uh, the linebacker guys, Corey Littleton, I guess. Yep. If, they can, if they can put pressure on Brady and get that sack like the Eagles got that sack that caused the fumble a year ago, if that can happen, they can win the game. I'm going to pick the – Patriots. I think it's going to be much like the game a year ago, a relatively high-scoring game. I'm going to go 34 to 28 Tom Brady. Okay. And as almost always is the case, a couple of fourth-quarter lead changes because uh, that's what the Patriots are all about now. But Brady and company perform surgery once again and hoist the Lombardi Trophy for the sixth time. Beautiful. And what do they call the trophy that you'll be hoisting as the champion of the inaugural season? I don't know that they didn't purchase the trophy <laughs> that I'll be hoisting. Let's keep our fingers crossed that the check clears at the appropriate time. Well, you know that my favorite team is the Arizona Hotshots. And you think it's because my favorite coach is the coach of the Arizona Hotshots. But the truth be told, my favorite team, the Arizona Hotshots, is because you guys have a guy named Chunky. And any Chunky team. Chunky Clement. That's right. Any, there you go, baby. Any, any team that's got a guy named Chunky is okay with me. Number 97, defensive tackle, all 6'2, 310 pounds of him. Chunky Clements out of Illinois. Chunky Clements. And when the season's over, you can buy his ice cream off the shelf at Ralph's. <laughs> <laughs> You went Ralph's on me. You didn't go QFC or Safeway. You went Ralph's on me. I should have gone QFC with my Seattle roots. What was I thinking? QFC. Uh, We're going to be in store shortly. Would you like me to? Shortly. Would you like me to edit Ralph's, the LA Ralph's, out of the uh, out of the podcast? I'm not. going to No, I, I I'm an equal. I, when you're a coach, you've been in a lot of supermarkets. I can tell you that. A lot. All the best. We'll be watching. Thank you so much. We love you in Seattle. We've got your we've got your pick. I've got it down. I've got it recorded, and we'll tease you about it if you don't have it right. Enjoy Super Sunday, my friend. Thank you, Rick. See you, buddy. Bye-bye. So our friend Rick Neuheisel thinks good game. Patriots win the game in a high-scoring game. 
Here's a special Valentine opportunity from Daniels Broiler. Daniels has just opened their new location at the brand new Hyatt Regency in downtown Seattle at 8th and Howell. This Daniels has the largest seating capacity of all the Daniels. The downtown Daniels Hyatt is also open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. So normally getting into Daniels on Valentine's Day is a difficult task, but this new downtown Hyatt Daniels creates the opportunity for you to make a reservation now. For the more adventurous, you can make a night of it with dinner at Daniel's and an overnight at the beautiful new Hyatt Regency. The choice is yours, but the opportunity to dine at Daniel's on Valentine's Day has never been greater. Make your reservation today, locally owned by the Schwartz family, located at South Lake Union, Leshy Marina, Bellevue Place, and now at the downtown Hyatt Regency at 8th and Howell, Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Every Super Bowl week, I wonder, what's more important, the game or the gambling? I think our next guest uh, has the answer. Uh, back to Vegas, Todd Furman, former Caesars Palace odds maker, founder of Bet the Board, the Bet the Board pod. What do you think, Todd? Is the game secondary to the gambling? I think everything goes hand in hand. The game wouldn't be what it was without some of the gambling that comes along with it. But, of course, I'm biased here. This is the quintessential sporting event where everybody from the blue-haired ladies at the bingo parlor <laughs> to the 16-year-olds in various junior highs and high schools across this country are going to have a little bit of skin in the game. It comes in different dimensions, but everybody you talk to is going to have an opinion on who they think is going to ultimately win and, more importantly, cover in Super Bowl 53. You feel anything different, Todd, about this week as opposed to all the Super Bowls in the past or no? Uh, you know what? It's all the same. The initial excitement once you see the two combatants on Championship Sunday to see how the narrative starts to build momentum during the course of the bye week. And then the hard work really gets going. It's digging into every single stat line, which teams are trending in the right direction, which quarterback is going to have the bigger performance, which wide receiver that you haven't seen since week eight during the regular season is going to come onto this stage. And can you find those unsung heroes, the James White of 2017 breaking the Super Bowl record for receptions, the Timmy Smith from years ago going for 200 yards on the ground, that's what makes this game all the more challenging. And mm-hmm. I think the amount of information and prop bets that continue to grow uh, in exponential fashion year over year make it even that much more compelling. How much money will be wagered in Vegas this year, Todd? Well, the number that they'll look to eclipse is $160 million statewide. That was the record that we saw a season ago. I think the way the industry is trending and with the advent of mobile wagering and the fact that you can bet just about everything from the palm of your hands, you're going to see that number easily eclipsed. The American Gaming Association earlier today put out a number that they say about $6 billion is going to be wagered on this particular football contest. But most of that, of course, will come from uh, some of the offshore markets and corner bookmakers. Uh, I know there are folks that lick their chops here to take full advantage of uh, various ways to try and get involved. Todd Furman is with us. Todd, what percentage is wagered on the, the main bets, the, the line, the money line, the over-under, and what percentage on all these exotic proposition bets that were so much fun and we like to look at and have fun with? So much of that will vary shop by shop based on their clientele and how they elect to market the big game. Uh, but ultimately, I would say a fair distribution is probably 50-50, which is a far cry from where it was three or four years ago, where it used to be 70% came on, on the more traditional markets and props made up a secondary portion of betting handle. You've quickly seen that gap bridge, and some shops out here in the desert will tell you that's even more than 50% of the handle will come in on their 500-plus prop offerings 
everything as exotic as the exact number of points scored by the Rams and Patriots in the game, you know, over under goal scored by Manchester United against Leicester city <laughs> compared to first quarter field goals between the Rams and uh, Patriots down yeah. to our beloved golden Knights and laying two and a half shots for the Knights game against the Florida Panthers <laughs> against total points scored by the Patriots. Todd Furman uh, in Vegas, the former Caesars palace odds maker. He's the founder of the pod bet the board. Um, did Vegas odds makers make a mistake? Did they leave themselves exposed when they introduced this game with the Rams either a slight favorite or real close to pick them? And then all the early money came in on New England, making the Patriots, I think, currently a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Or um, is there another way of looking at it? It seems to me that without knowing what's going to happen in the days and hours leading up to the Super Bowl, it seems to me that most of the money is squarely on the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. I don't think oddsmakers made a mistake. Uh, they went off of their baseline power numbers for a lot of them that had the Rams, the best team in the NFL, for good stretches of the season. And you started to get that indication even in the NFC Championship where the Saints close a three-point favorite despite their home field advantage being worth about three and a half, maybe even four points, depending on who you talk to. Now, public perception plays a bigger role in this game than it does any other throughout the course of the season. So what you had initially was professional betters seeing New England as an underdog going, there's no way this number is going to last. They took a little bit of plus one. The general public latches onto it. They start to drive the number even further in the Patriots' direction. And now you play the waiting game, if you like the Rams, hoping that three pops everywhere you possibly can bet it. We've seen some threes out here in the desert already. Immediately you've seen some Rams money. And I think it's a, it's a fascinating discussion of ultimately which becomes the real side. But there's no better feeling as a better if you have the Patriots plus one. You're able to take the Rams oh, yeah. plus three. Yeah. You kick your feet up. And you hope that the Patriots' trend of having Super Bowls fall right on the three, which has happened four out of the eight games they've played in, continues, and you're able to win both uh, or, worst-case scenario, win one and push one. They used to say, Todd, that the, the, the public likes to bet on the favorite and the over in the, in the totals. Is that still the case, or have we become more of a, a nuanced society that is willing to look at the, the underdog? And, in fact, there was, what, 14 or 15 underdogs in a row in the playoffs over the stretch of two years that covered – um, what does the public like to do? Is the money on the over in this game? What is it, 56.5 or 57? Something like that. Yeah, typically, typically parlay action will be tied favorite to over, but at the same time, the betting public, much more sophisticated in 2019 than they were when I even moved to Vegas uh, in the early 2000s. People have the, a ton of information readily available, whether it's Twitter, whether it's articles, the amount of beat writers that are out there. You can put in 15 to 20 minutes a day and at least try to level the playing field between you and the bookmaker. You're never going to get the edge that the professionals do or some of those numbers, but you can give yourself a puncher's chance and maybe a little bit of uh, competition for the odds makers that are out there. Ultimately, I think you're going to see books rooting for the Rams in this spot with the breakdown appearing to be about 60 to 65% of the tickets coming in on New England. I think the total, though, is going to be pretty split. You look at the Rams and the way they've played defense and get, since getting a key to lead back. The Patriots have been a little bit underrated on the defensive side of the ball uh, over the latter half of the season. And I think 56 and a half, 57, slightly inflated, at least on my numbers, yeah. the game that I made 54. Yeah. Before you give us your picks, I assume you'll give us your picks. Todd Furman is with us. 
um, former odds maker at Caesars Palace. Are there any interesting wagers that have come in, big, big, big wagers that have come in on one side or the other so far? Uh, most of the books I've spoken to said they haven't really started to see the six-figure wagers that they'll get from some of their house customers uh, leading up to kickoff when those folks uh, decide to make their pilgrimage to either our oasis here in the desert or they head to Jersey or some of the other legal jurisdictions. Uh, when you look at some of the other options that are there, the props are going to move. Professional bettors swoop in on those as quickly as they possibly can. But if you're looking for something a little bit off the wall and more exotic, uh, one of my favorite props I think that's out there comes from betonline.ag, where it's Tom Brady total passing yards in Sunday's game versus Bryce Harper's total contract when he ultimately signs, <laughs> assuming it's before the start of the 2019 baseball season. If you believe that Brady exceeds Harper, that'll get you a two-to-one return on investment. Uh, if you want to back the baseball phenom, you have to put up $3 to make $1 coming back. I think Todd Furman likes the Patriots minus two or two and a half, doesn't like it as much at three, and he likes the under on the total. Am I right or wrong? Full disclosure here, I don't have a single investment on this game yet, but if you're forcing my feet to the fire, I would be waiting patiently to bet the Rams as a three-point underdog in this particular spot, and I think there's a little bit of value in the first half going under. When you look at what the Patriots' history has been, they scored a grand total of three points the eight previous trips they made to the Super Bowl, and part of me believes that's all by design, as Bill Belichick doesn't want to tip his hand. Wow. He knows games can't be won in the first quarter, but they sure as hell can be lost there, so he goes through a feeling out process. I think that bet you'll know a lot more about the comfort level if the Patriots were to win the toss and they elect to take the football. That might not be a recipe for success, given some of his comments about knowing what Wade Phillips is going to call defensively since he stayed true to his principles over the last 30 years he's been in the league. So, Todd, you like the Rams if you can get three. Do you like the Rams at two, two and a half if it doesn't move to three? I don't. I don't think it offers enough value. I know a lot of people look at it on the surface and go, oh, three and a half point line move, but it doesn't change the win probability when you go from being a one point favorite to being a two and a half point underdog enough to try and get me to the window. The nice part of what, a, what I do, Mitch, is I'm going to have a college basketball, an NHL, or an NBA bet to make on Monday if need be. The money <laughs> I can win on the Super Bowl, it doesn't pay any more of my mortgage. It's not any greener than the prices I can find in some of the other sports. So I would lean towards the Rams for those folks inclined to try and bet it. Uh, and I think it's a little bit lower scoring game than numbers. You okay. Get. Todd Furman in Vegas with a little update on the gambling aspect of Super Bowl number 53 in Atlanta between the Rams and the Patriots. Thanks again, Todd. Great to visit with you. Always a pleasure. Enjoy the big game this weekend. So the former odds maker from Vegas, Todd Furman, is waiting for the line to move a little bit more so that he can grab the Rams plus the three as opposed to the two and a half. Whether it'll move that much is yet to be seen. As I mentioned in episode 18, I am super excited and appreciative of a new sponsor joining our unfiltered team. Evergreen is the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. David Hay founded it. It's a homegrown Bellevue firm that manages over $2 billion in assets. Tyler, the son, was named one of the 40 under 40 by the Puget Sound Business Journal. He reached out to me and asked how his firm could be involved in this podcast as a supporter of my return, and here they are. Now having spread throughout the West Coast, offices in Portland, offices in San Francisco, Napa Valley, we're talking about the fastest growing wealth manager in the Pacific Northwest. And here's what I love about them the most. When you go to the local Boys and Girls Club to watch the kids play hoops, the name you see on the back of the jerseys, Evergreen Golf Call. Just a tiny part of this firm's commitment to give back to the community. Evergreen, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Unfiltered. 
it's got to be the story of the week, at least in sports, story of the year in sports. After all they went through in New Orleans, Andrew Lopez, the New Orleans Pelicans beat writer for the Times-Picayune. Andrew, as if the, the, the no call in the NFC Championship wasn't enough, they hit you with this, this, the second punch. The body blow is Anthony Davis wants out of New Orleans. Which story, how do you compare the two stories and the reaction of, of New Orleans sports fans? Uh, I, I think the thing that's I think most important is we don't have a lot of skyscrapers down here in New Orleans, so a lot of fans <laughs> can't 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 jump the way maybe uh, maybe it could in other places. But it, it it's it's been a weird couple of weeks, man. It's you know you 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 woke up last Monday if you're a Saints fan and you were dealing with the aftermath of you know losing that game and having it you know taken away from you. Uh, a lot of Saints fans feel, and then this Monday you wake up to. Uh, Anthony Davis wanting to get out of town, and it, it's been tough. It really has, and uh, you know, Saints fans and Pelicans, you know, alike are, are, are very angry. And uh, on Wednesday, we had our first chance to see uh, Anthony's the reaction to Anthony in New Orleans, and it was uh, it was it was it was interesting to say the least. Yeah, the Saints no call comes out of the you know out of the woodworks. You know, you can't expect that. Was this? Was this a complete surprise, completely a blind side to, to New Orleans Pelicans fans? Or did you see the writing on the wall when a new deal wasn't done yet? Or was there chatter that this could be the case? I think the timing is what was the, the most surprising part. I think yeah, fans probably thought this was coming. They probably thought he was going to try to force his way out and, and do it in the summer. Um, I don't think anybody thought it was going to come when it did. And uh, it was kind of a, a maybe a play to get him, you know, to L.A. Maybe a little bit sooner, but uh, I don't think it's going to work that way. Uh, I think they are going to try to wait until the summer to see what deal they're going to do. But um, the the timing was more surprising, I think, than anything else. Why does he want out, Andrew? The way is this: the the Pelicans have not proven to be a winning organization over the last you know seven years while he's been here, and in his time here, they took they went to one playoff series and that was uh, I mean obviously they won the one playoff series that was last year um, when they when they swept Portland and they you know they got beat by Golden State in five so uh, to him he, he wants to be a part of a quote winning organization that's the, the the thing he says he wants to to get out uh, I they have tried to build around him and, and some people have made the argument well maybe it's on him I, I don't know how much more he can do other than what he's doing this year there you know he's Averaging, I think, 29.3 points, 13.3 rebounds, four and a half assists, which is almost double his career high. What was it like on Wednesday night, the first game since the uh, the ultimatum that he gave through his agent to the team? First of all, has he spoken? Has he spoken to you guys? Has he given yeah. his version of the story? Secondly, I don't think he's playing. Is he not playing because he's hurt, or is he not playing because now it's too awkward to play him? He has not spoken with us yet. We requested him on Monday when he made the trade request. Um, initially, he was supposed to talk Wednesday. That was the kind of the iffy date before the game against the Denver Nuggets. He did not talk then. Right now, he is scheduled to talk to us on Friday. We'll, we'll see. I believe it when he steps into the into the room and starts talking to us. That, that's that's when I believe that'll happen because uh, you know he he was fined fifty thousand and. I don't, I don't know if he can get fined again if he talks about the request or, or what we can get from him. So we'll see how that goes yeah. uh, once he is here. Essentially, there's a, a little chip of bone off in his index finger. It's a hyperextension. He's 
he's going to be okay. This is still in the original timeline of when they thought he would be out of game. So it's that part's not weird. The, the weird thing is he's been on the bench. Usually when, when, when a sort of request like this is made, the, you know, he stays away, he stays, but he's, he's been in everything. He's worked out. He's going through um, his, his rehab with the Pelicans right now. Uh, it, it's a weird deal. So when he, when he did come out on Wednesday night, there were like maybe a couple of boos. He didn't come out during the entrance video or anything like that. Uh, but there were a couple of boos from, from some fans here and there. But uh, I think for the most part, what you saw was uh, some indifference. And then I think people kind of, as the game going along, kind of started to get to him, started to, to kind of maybe sit back a little bit. He wasn't as uh, up and talking to guys as he was on Tuesday night against the Rockets. And then he, you know, he kind of disappeared in the fourth quarter. Like he actually went back into the locker room. We saw him after the game, but you know, it was, it's, 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 it's just a weird type deal. Are right people now. angry? If they're angry, why are they not booing him? You know, wholeheartedly when he comes out onto the floor for the first time. Uh, he didn't play, but when he comes out of the locker room and right. he appears on the bench, why is that city not really giving him the business? Because I think most in the city aren't blaming him oh. right now. Oh. Uh, most in, most in the most in the city kind of feel. Uh, like it was expected. I think right now, the initial reaction, uh, if you go back to Monday, the initial reaction was, was more, I'd say, 80%, 90% directed anger toward the Pelicans organization um, and, and general manager Dell Demps for basically uh, blowing the Anthony Davis years. Since the days have gone on, I felt a, maybe a shift into, okay, Anthony, this is, this is enough. Like, you, you don't have to, like, just leave. Like you being here is making it worse. They took him out of the video, right? Yes, and they did take him out of the. I was going to get to that next. Uh, they took him out of the video, and I think he kind of maybe. I don't think he noticed that. I think during the game, he he figured it out. Like somebody told him. I I, I had a tweet Wednesday night that kind of blew up. Uh, so I'm pretty sure he he knew um, about it. And I think that's maybe yeah, what steered yeah, him. Yeah. To kind of be in his, so, to, to to be indifferent. So right now. So Andrew Lopez is the. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans beat reporter who covers the the team as close as anybody on this Anthony Davis situation. <clears throat> they have until the deadline to trade him. They've taken him out of the video. There's some question of whether it would be too awkward for him to play. So what if they don't move him? I, I you know if everything you read is they shouldn't move him until the off season so that the Celtics can get involved because they can't make a trade for him while Kyrie Irving's on the team as is and only the Lakers could and. Yada 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 yada. That they're going to have a a better a better assortment of packages and leverage to look at during the off season. What happens if they don't trade him before the deadline? With them taking him out of the video, the boo birds, the uncomfortable. Is he going to just play the last half of the season and people are going to boo him at home? What's going to happen? The I I, I think now and it became more apparent to me Wednesday. Uh, that Anthony Davis will not ever ever suit up for the New Orleans Pelicans. Never again. Uh, that is, he he. So he, what he happens if they don't? So what happens if they don't trade him? They just make him. They just say he's injured and he's he's going to miss the rest of the year due to the injury. Is that what happens? There's there, there's two ways they can do it. One, he could get a a surgery on that finger and then be out for the rest of the year. Or uh, the team could agree to let him stay away from the team. It's the same sort of situation that happened with the Houston Rockets and Carmelo Anthony, or what I should say, what is happening with the, well, I guess they traded him away now. Uh, What happened with the Houston Rockets and Carmelo Anthony. Andrew Lopez, who is the, the Times-Picayune terrific beat reporter who's covering this whole story. 
the Anthony Davis story, which has been the biggest in sports, telling the team, nope, I'm out. I'm not signing an extension. I'd like to be traded. He'd like to be traded to the Lakers before the deadline next week. We'll see what happens. Andrew, thanks so very much. Appreciate the time. No problem. Anthony Davis. Where will he play the rest of this year? Where will he play for the rest of his career? A big mega deal with the Lakers and LeBron James? Let's get Jason Hamilton in here. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Steve Hutchinson. We'll talk about the Super Bowl. We've got still a lot to do with Jason Hamilton in our final segment. It's been a couple of years since Land Rover produced the Defender, but it's back. And it's really spectacular. Or it's coming back. The order list is already filling up at JAG, Land Rover of Bellevue. But Alan Dimitri have both promised me that listeners of the Mitch Unfiltered podcast go to the front of the line. Road and Track did a piece on their most highly anticipated 2019 vehicles, and there she is, the Land Rover Defender. It will still be an aluminum body truck with off-road chops, but this time it'll ride the same unibody platform as a Range Rover. Can't beat Land Rover of Bellevue, all I've driven in the past 12 years, vehicles I've either leased or owned from this great dealership. A terrific sales squad and a service department which is absolutely the best whether you got your car there or not. A pre-owned selection, by the way, which is really good. Just off of 520 Northeast 20th Street in Bellevue. Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Unfiltered. We got to get some reaction here on episode before we get through episode number 19. Let's uh, let me throw Anthony Davis your way. What have you Yeah. If you're a New Orleans Pelicans fan, are you pissed? Are you pissed at Davis? Are you pissed at the team? Are you pissed at I mean, think about what what New Orleans sports fans have had to endure in the last 2 weeks. Would you please can can you imagine this? First yeah. the, the no call in the NFC Championship game that's cost one of the worst no calls you'll ever see that cost the Saints a chance to go to the Super Bowl and then a week later Probably the best player in New Orleans history, Pete Maravich included, says at at the ripe old age, what is he, 25 years old? I, I'm I'm thinking that if the expansion Seattle Sonics were given a team tomorrow and the commissioner said, you know, I feel badly screwing you guys around all these years. I'm going to give you any player you want from any other roster. You could have any player you want. LeBron James, Steph Curry, any player you want, and you're going to do it obviously based on productivity, age, future, and everything. Sure, sure. I think you take Anthony Davis over everybody, but I'm not sure. I, I think you take Anthony Davis. Yeah, I mean, he's he's certainly in the conversation, right? I mean, there's guys like the Greek Freak, Giannis. Yep. Uh, there's guys like Joel Embiid. There's, you know, there's, there's certainly a, a host of other names that you would put in the conversation, but Anthony Davis from an all-around skill set is, is right at the top of the list, no question about it. Would you be pissed at him? Um, I would be. If I, if I was a New Orleans resident and I was an NBA fan in that city, I'd be really upset at ownership. I'd be really upset at the management. I'd be really upset the fact that they are not competitive, um, that even though they have Drew Holiday, uh, who I think is a really, really good player, um, they don't have enough. I mean, they tried to put Boogie Cousins with him, um, and that that pairing didn't really work, and they didn't really elevate their status. And and he's just gonna live out his entire NBA career in purgatory. He's not going anywhere. The franchise isn't moving in a direction that can contend for a championship. So if you're him and you know what your horizon looks like, um, you know why not be honest and tell people 
listen, I'm not going to resign here. I mean, he's giving them the opportunity to either find a, a, a great trade mm. possibility, right. which really isn't really isn't accurate because he's he's going to dictate where that goes uh, because you know he, he's going to be a free agent and he's going to figure out a way to get to L.A. because that's where he wants to be ultimately. But um, no, I don't I don't think if you're a fan that you can really blame him. I mean, you can be really mad at the at the organization, but I don't know that you can blame a guy who's putting up the kind of numbers and has been an all-star and done everything he can possibly do to help the team. And, you know, there's there's going to be nothing in return. So it, let's say the Lakers make the deal before the deadline, and I don't think they will. I think somehow he's going to remain property of the Pelicans. You heard our guest say he doesn't think he's going to ever play again. Even if, even if he is property the second half of the season, they'll find a way to not play him again because it's such an awkward situation now. Sure. But, but let's just play with this for a second. Let's assume the Lakers acquire him before the deadline next week and they give up two or three young guys and draft choices and whatever. And so you've got LeBron James, you've got Anthony Davis for the, for the second half of the year, and you've got one or two or three of these other guys, Kyle Kuzma, I don't know. Maybe he would be mm-hmm. involved in the trade. What does that do? Davis and LeBron and a few others. Is that good mm-hmm. enough to be a threat is that good enough just to make the playoffs and just go out in the first or second round? What is that? Mm-hmm. LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's another piece. If you're if you're Rob Palinka and Magic Johnson, and you've got a, basically a four year window with LeBron James to try to win a championship, multiple championships. Anthony Davis gets you one step closer to that. I, I don't know that they win the rest of this season, especially with a banged-up LeBron, but I don't know if they win uh, a title this season with that roster, especially when you got Golden State being Golden State. But you also have other free agents that you're looking at that could potentially add to that mix after this season, and then all of a sudden you have a, re, a completely reorganized L.A. Laker roster coming into next season, um, which would be extremely dangerous. You know, Clay Thompson's a free agent. What, what if he moves to L.A.? What if he decides, um, I've, I've done all I can here? Uh, you know, a ton of things could happen, and I think the fact that people see L.A. as a, as a market that they want to go to with those two guys and um, some of the young talent, that if you're able to keep a Kuzma and give away a Brandon Ingram and some picks, and you know that's fine. But you're you're building for next year, I think, if you're Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka. What do you think of Steve Hutchinson? Steve Hutchinson is on the ballot, I believe, for the second time the Hall of Fame. He's one of the best. He's one of the best left guards in the history of the National Football League. Quite honestly, I was surprised he didn't make it in his first go around last year. Uh, I expect that by the time you and I meet for episode number 20, Gary Payton, that hey, he'll... We've already solidified that. It's going to be Gary Payton. Well, I don't know. We'll look at it. We'll take a we'll take a look, good, long, hard, long look. I mean, we're in the middle of episode Tony Gwynn. We'll look at Gary Payton. But I'm, I'm expecting that when we get together for episode Gary Payton, that uh, we're talking about a guy heading to the Hall of Fame. And he has said, here's what he has said to the Seattle Times in the last couple of years. For the record, I did not want to leave Seattle. At the end of the day, it was a business decision. It was a business decision, and I didn't have an option. If I had a choice, I'd like to go into the Hall of Fame with a Seahawks logo on my plaque. This is Steve Hutchinson. Remember, this is the guy who made it impossible. He and his agent, by virtue of the offer sheet that they signed with the Vikings. They put in what they call the poison pill, which, by the way, is no longer allowed. 
mm-hmm. to make it impossible for the Seahawks to to match the offer. He had the transition tag on him. Um, let's also remember that after he retired, he 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 established a Twitter account and his handle was Poison Pill. Now, mm-hmm. uh, several years later, he's going back upon all of that and saying that he had no choice. This is what he had to do. And he hopes that Seattle Seahawks fans understand. He's raised the 12th man flag. He's been back to do that. The Seahawks as an organization have embraced him, and they're, and they're also pushing him for the Hall of Fame on their social media platforms. What do you think before I give you my opinion on Steve Hutchinson? So that, I mean, listen, I think that's interesting. When you're, when you're a player and you have representation and they're telling you, hey, we're going to get you whatever it was back then, $49 million. I, I, re- I forget exactly what the, what the number was at that point. But this is what we're going to get you. And you know what? Um, Seven years, $49 million was what it was. It, w- it was $49 million. Okay, so my memory was, was right. Okay, seven years, $49 million. And they're saying, we're going to get you this money. We don't think that the Seahawks, whatever the narrative that the, the, the agents were telling him at the time, I, I can understand him saying, I can understand him believing as the player that this was the right strategy to get the most amount of money and security because I'm sure in the negotiations with uh, the Vikings it was, if you put the, we're going to raise the amount of dollars, but if you put this in, it's a guarantee that he's coming, no ifs, ands, or buts. You know, you're looking at that 49 million and saying, "I don't think the Seahawks are going to come up that high. Let's do the deal." And then, oh wait, maybe the Seahawks would have done the deal, and now you feel bad. I mean, who knows what he was, whether or not how much, how much he trusted in his representation and how much he really wanted to stay. But I know this: you're in, you should be the one in control of your career, and if you really wanted to stay a Seattle Seahawk, you should be directing your representation to say whatever they're offering. If the Seahawks come close to it, and I want to stay here, I'm going to stay here. So, what's the end? What's your conclusion? My conclusion is. I don't believe the fact right. that I don't believe the fact that he really wanted to be a Seahawk because if he did, he could have done that. We've seen it with, um, you know, many other players. Yes. Um, you know, um, and I just I, I can't believe that he would think that people would buy that. Yes, and I agree with you. What you just said, I agree with. I, I would say this: that this comes down to a very simple question. If he really didn't want to leave Seattle, do we believe that the Minnesota Vikings would not have given him that contract offer without that clause in it? Mm-hmm. And only he knows that or his agent knows. Maybe they don't know. Maybe only the Minnesota Vikings who, was, who were negotiating with him at the time knows. Here's what I think, and this is just a gut. I believe he was the best left guard by a landslide on the market. Mm-hmm. The Vikings and everybody in the uh, and the, everybody else in the NFL would have killed to have him at that point in his career. Killed to have him. And if he truly didn't want to leave, but he did want to get the best deal for him and his family, no one, me, you, or any other Seahawk fan could have any problems with that. Mm-hmm. But I think if he had said, I'll sign the offer sheet, but I'm not putting a poison pill in, I'm not putting that clause in that makes it impossible – if they if they match they match and if they don't they don't and then they didn't i would have no problem with steve hutchinson whatsoever 
I agree. But I just, I think he had all the leverage with the Vikings and everybody else. I think he was so good and so in demand and so hot on the market. I just don't believe he had to sign that offer sheet with that clause in it that made it impossible for the Seahawks to match. And because so, of and because of that, I don't believe he truly did care that much about being here at the time. And I think he regrets it now. And yeah. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I wish Steve Hutchinson and his family all the best. But as a Seahawks fan, I've I washed my hands clean of Steve Hutchinson. He can go into the Hall of Fame. I know they don't do it in the NFL like they do it in baseball, but he can go in the Hall of Fame as a Viking or something else because that's a guy, to me, who at the time, it did not feel like he cared that much about being here. I would not have expected him to take a dollar less, but at the same time, he made it impossible for the Seahawks to give him the same money that the Vikings did. Well, let me ask you one follow-up to that then. and Why do you think the Seahawks organization has embraced him. I mean, that, that was a very jarring, uh, you know, ordeal to go through with Steve Hedges. Why, why would the Seahawks embrace a player that uh, really, like you said, not only shunned them, but, but changed the free agent game forever? I just think it's fun to have a guy going in the Hall of Fame that wants to be you and you want to be loved, and it's, it's a popularity thing. I, don't, I think it's a long time ago. I think it was a different regime it was the same ownership, but a different regime. And I think that uh, the idea of having a guy go into Canton, um, you know, kind of waving the Seahawks' 12th man flag, it, it makes everything that happened many moons ago kind of go away, fade mm-hmm. off. I think the hurt's gone. I think that they've had so much success since he's been gone and since this big dilemma that I think that uh, I think it's pretty easy for them to kind of look the other way. Uh, I I'm just saying I don't – I'm not – I'm indifferent to Steve Hutchinson going in the Hall of Fame. That's what I'm saying. As a Seahawks yeah, yeah. fan, this is not like Edgar Martinez or anybody like that. As a Seahawks fan, fine, congratulations, Steve, but I'm not buying, hey, you and the Seahawks are attached to the hip now and you always wanted to be here. I, I just don't – I don't accept that. I don't yeah, accept that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. okay, let's end – because the Super Bowl is here, and we'll be watching the Super Bowl together at Zeke's Pizza at Capitol Hill, the Capitol Hill location, with a little competition. Now, I know you're not a gambler, so I figured out a way to make this very palatable for you, a non-gambler. I'm going to challenge you to a game called Which Is More? And if okay. you lose, you lose nothing. Okay. If you beat me... You win something. I'll give you something. Okay. So you can't lose. Yeah, I love that. You like that, right? You don't yeah, have to put of any of your hard-earned money or your reputation, a little bit of your reputation on the line, but you don't have yeah. to put any any kind of reward on the line. And I'll play you for a round of golf, which okay. means you win, you get a round of golf. All right? I'll take yep. you out for a round of golf. You lose, okay. you got to shake my hand and come on the podcast and say, you beat me. That's all you got to do if you lose. Yep. Okay? So there's yep. six categories where I'm just going to ask you which is more, and we're both going to try to answer the question. All right? Yep. Which is more? The Greek freak versus Washington over the weekend and his points or the Rams points in the game on Super Bowl Sunday? Which is more? 
I'm going to go with Giannis. I'm going to go with the Greek Freak. Okay. I'm going with the Rams. So we're already, we've already differed on the first one. Okay. Which is more, Steph Curry's missed free throws versus the Lakers over the weekend or Gronk touchdowns? Which is more? That's, this is a good one. This is a good one. <laughs> so are, we, by the way, these, to... these are all prop bets in Vegas. These are all available to you if you wanted to bet. If you were in Vegas, these are the prop bets in Vegas right now, the, the real fun ones. And do we have to take opposite, opposite no. sides on no. every one? No. Okay, so, so, so I went first last time. You go first Oh, this I time. see how this works, Jason Locke and Fora. Um, yeah. I'm going to say Steph Curry will miss more free throws than Gronk touchdowns because I kind of think it's going to be 0-0 and it's going to be a throwout. So if Steph Curry misses one, I think he'll miss more than Gronk touchdowns. That's what I think too. Okay, so that, I, I I can I concur. Okay, so that's a wash. Yeah. Which is more, yeah. Jason D. Hamilton, the longest touchdown scored in the game by either team minus nine and a half yards. So you take the the longest touchdown and subtract nine and a half yards, or James Harden's points over the weekend against the Jazz. Ooh wee, I'm gonna go with Harden. I think Harden's going to go for 50. I, I don't, and I don't know. I mean, man, a 50-yard minus nine and a half in the Super Bowl or plus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm going to go yeah, with Harden. Yeah. I'm going to go with Harden. Me too. I'm going with okay. Harden. I don't think he'll go for 50, but I think if he goes for, let's say, 38, 38 or yeah. 40, that makes the yeah. longest touchdown to be scored would have to be like 47 or 49 yards. Right, which might exactly. happen. This game is going to be wide open. It might happen. But I'm going to err on the side of James Harden as much as I dislike James Harden. All right. Which is more? Julian Edelman receiving yards minus 10.5. So it take his total receiving yards and subtract 10.5. Or Justin Rose's fourth round score at the Phoenix Open TPC Scottsdale. Which one's more? Edelman. You're going, you're, you're going first. So you're going with Edelman. That's going to be more than Justin Rose's little 67. So yep. if I were to work this out, I think Justin Rose goes 67, which means Julian Edelman's got to go 77 and a half to beat him. I'm going to stay right with you. I'm going to take Julian Edelman. So we only disagree on one so far, the very first mm. one. All right? Okay. Which, which is more, a prop bet in Vegas. Russell Westbrook against the Celtics. Points? plus assists, plus rebounds. Add them all up, minus three and a half, or the longest field goal made in the game by either team. Who would you like to go first? I'd like you to go first. Okay, so I say, okay, Russell Westbrook is probably good for 22, 12, and 10 in some shape or form. So I'll go, Mm -hmm. that's 44, minus three and a half, is 40 and a half. I'm going to go with the longest field goal made being more than the combined assists, rebounds, and points minus three and a half of Russell Westbrook. I'm going to agree with that and go longest field goal just because I think the longest field goal is going to be 55, something oh. like that. Oh. And I don't, think, oh. I, don't think, I don't think Russ is going to get – I don't think he's going to get there. Greg the leg, huh? Going from yeah. 55. All right, so we yeah. only really disagree on one of the prop bets, and here's the last one. You can either go first or go second, whatever you want. Which is more, 
Zion Williamson's day against St. John's points and rebounds combined minus five and a half or the total points scored in the Super Bowl in the first half only? Which is more? So I've now put myself in a conundrum. <laughs> what is that? What's the conundrum, Jay Ham? Your the boys conundrum. are your boys are eight no. What kind of conundrum can you be in? Well, you're gonna you're gonna like this. This is this is my analytical mind coming through right okay, here. Okay, let's hear about the analytical mind. If I if I pick based on what I what I believe to be true, which is there's going to be more points in the first half than Zion Williamson's total points and rebounds minus five and a half. If I believe that to be true, which I do, then it puts my first pick about the Greek freak in jeopardy. <laughs> That's right. I see the I see the analytical mind. Yes. Yes. So I can either we've tied on every one. Yes. Except for the top one. And the last so I, one. I have maybe, to, yeah. I Yeah. So you get to go first. <laughs> oh, that's not fair. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, went, I, went, I went first last Okay, time. against St. John's, he's going to go off. St. John's has nothing in the middle, donut, nothing in the middle to stop the bull in the China China shop. Um, he's got to go for at least uh, – he's got to go for 24 and 12. Um, that's 36. Minus five and a half, 30 and a half. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Williamson's points and rebounds minus five and a half is gonna be more than the points scored in the first half of the Super Bowl. So I can either continue with that and win by one, or lose by one, or lose by one. I will agree with you and go with Zion. Okay, so I can throw all throw the all questions th- out the window. Why we just wasted everybody's time? We could throw everything out the window except for Greek Freak versus Washington. Or Rams points. Well, we could also be dead wrong on all of these, and they could just say you guys are stupid. <laughs> well, no one, will, no one will remember these things for another ten oh, seconds after we. Oh, there's after a thing do. called Twitter, and guess what? We're gonna get all of the answers <laughs> back to all six of these questions. So remind me, you have the Greek freak, and I've got Rams points. Is that the way it works? Correct. All right, you've got the Greek freaks points versus Washington. You think he's gonna go for? at least 30 yeah, against yeah. Washington. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll put me in a bad position because I'm going to tell you right now, I think that the Las Vegas, Nevada sports books are going to take an absolute beating in this game. The more I look at this game, the more I think about this game, the more I consider the variables, the more I do tail the tape, the more I look into the numbers, the more I'm convinced that Tom Brady and the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl. I knew you were going to say that. I, I just I don't see it. I don't see, I don't see the Rams with that defense. And you take the Rams in that defense, which has a lot of big names on it, but they can't stop anybody. Um, you know, New England is going to is going to dice up, to carve up that defense unless Aaron Donald gets like so much pressure and Dominican Sue gets so much pressure that it's ridiculous. If they don't get like an immense amount of pressure. Brady's got to go against that Rams secondary. They've got to go for 34 minimum, 34 Mm. minimum. And so then the question is, will the Rams score more than 34? And I'll just say this. I don't like him, but I'll say it. Bill Belichick, two weeks to prepare his defense against the Rams. 
I don't see the Rams outscoring the Patriots. So I think the Patriots are going to win. They opened a an underdog. So everybody who bet them when the Rams were minus one and even and plus one, they all win. The only question is, is there a way for the Rams to backdoor cover this thing and keep it close? Uh, I I don't see – I will be very, very surprised if the, if the New England Patriots and Tom Brady don't win the Super Bowl. So that's the way I feel about it. I'm, so I'm taking – New England for the record. New England minus two and a half. And I'm going to go, I have a slight lean. I think it's going to be over 56 and a half, the total. I'll say New England 37, Rams 27. That's my final. 37, 27. 37, 27. That's 64. 64. What's What's the number? 56 and a half. Mm-hmm. 37 27 so I, I like the logic i mean i certainly understand why you're saying everything you're saying and my my sense is that you're probably right that you're probably right i mean the fact the fact is i don't think that the rams are going to stop tom brady in that offense and i think the fact that they're going to be able to control the the time of possession right with you know three-yard, five-yard, seven-yard, little routes, whatever, all the stuff that they do to kind of simulate a, a running game but then still have a little bit of a running game. Uh, they're going to score some points. They're going to take some shots, all that. The question for me is whether or not the Rams' offense and Sean McVay with two weeks, can he dial up an offense that puts the Patriots' defense on their toes? And No. You're saying no. I don't think so. I don't see uh, – you know, I've watched the Rams play enough. They did better defensively against the Saints than I thought that they were going to do. But, I mean, I've seen Kansas City. I've seen the Seahawks. I've seen everybody and their brother move the ball through the air against that Rams defense. I don't believe – as I said, the one caveat is – and they've got the best defensive player in the world on their team, the Rams do. Mm-hmm. So the one caveat is – if somehow those guys, without having to blitz, can really make Tom Brady uncomfortable the whole game, not just bits and pieces of the game. Donald's got to be a one-man wrecking machine. Sue has got to play like he played when he was in Detroit. I mean, if, if that happens, that's the one equal. But I just don't see it. Brady gets rid of the ball. He, he makes reads. He changes plays. He gets hot receivers. I just think they're too smart, and I think that the Rams are vulnerable in the passing game defensively, and I think that they get shredded. I think Brady, I think Brady throws for well over 300 yards, uh, throws for a lot of touchdowns, wins the MVP, and uh, is celebrating another Super Bowl. That's what I think. Okay, that would be the grossest and worst thing that I could imagine. <laughs> so this is why the other reason why I don't gamble. You ready for this? Yeah. Because. Everything that you're saying, I know to be true, and I don't want it to be true. Okay. <laughs> so I, I'm going to go 31-27 Rams. Ooh. So you're kind of playing either. both sides. You're right either way. You're right if the Rams no. win, and then if they don't win, you really didn't think that that was going to be the case. What's your no, official? I, what's your official pick? I believe everything that you're saying about the Patriots, and I just cannot. I cannot pick. I cannot pick the Patriots to win. This is why I don't gamble because uh, I'm not a sharp, <laughs> Mitchell. I'm not a sharp. So I'm going to just give you the 
the the thirty one twenty seven L A Rams oh. victory, a, a shade on a shade on the over and a win for the Rams. All right, episode number 19, our thanks to our four sponsors, our four terrific sponsors, the premier wealth management firm in the Northwest, Evergreen, Zeke's Pizza, where Jace and I will be on Super Bowl Sunday. Come join us and have some fun. Say hello, have a beer with us, have a slice with us. Zeke's Pizza, Jaguar Land Rover Bellevue, the newly remodeled Defender on its way back, and the VIP order list, and Daniel's Broiler, not a better place for Valentine's Day. It's just about upon us. It's a Thursday this year. Make your reservations now at one of these four great locations, Leshy, South Lake Union, Bellevue, and the brand new location at the downtown Hyatt Regency, 8th and Howell. I'll do it for you, Jason Hamilton, J. Ham. The Huskies are 8-0, and there you have it. There's episode number 19.